Welcome to episode three of Swipe Right, and thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for keeping up with this. If you're joining us for the first time, yeah, there's been a couple of other weeks. You can catch up with them at, at our YouTube channel, or you can go to our website, intoone.ca, into our sermon archive, and you can follow along there and uh, catch up if you feel like you're behind something. I read a story a while back about a man who was in a car accident. He was driving a 1963 Ford Thunderbird on balding tires, so that didn't go well. As he started to hydroplane on some slick pavement, he ended up crashing tragically into a transport truck, and it was it's a devastating accident. When you see the pictures in the article, you'd think there's just no way that he would survive, and the car is just absolutely demolished. And because it looked so bad, the, the report actually started to come out that he had died, that this was a fatality. They, they started to report that. The driver of the T-Bird has been killed, but he wasn't. He sustained massive injuries, of course, as you can imagine, in, in a situation like that. They actually removed 50 different pieces of glass that had been embedded throughout his body. He broke four or five ribs, broke his hip in multiple places, just a mess. But fortunately, due to those who are working in the hospital so hard for him, he managed to pull through. He spent eight weeks in a body cast, made a full recovery, and went on in life. Years passed, and eventually decades passed, and this would be a memory, for sure, a, a a powerful memory, but still part of the past, part of what used to be. And that's the way it stayed until one day, as he was entering a courthouse, he had to go pass through a metal detector. And the metal detector went off, which is always odd and always makes you feel worried. And so, of course, you get to that place that we're all dreading. Eventually, you, the, the belt has to come off, right? And it's so annoying, and it's so uh, kind of violating to feel like you've got to do this. But no matter how much he adjusted, no matter how many pieces he tried to remove, it did not stop the beeping. And so finally, I think it was the wand, as it was going over them, that, that tipped them off. It looks like there's a problem with his arm. And so further examination that happened later on after this courthouse embarrassment, uh, he eventually went for surgery. And in surgery, they found a piece of metal rod inside the man's forearm. And this was news to him. It was news to everybody. They did some digging and they found out that the seven-inch long piece of metal in his arm was, interestingly enough, a turn signal lever for a 1963 Ford Thunderbird. So if you can believe it, and this is a true story, that man somehow drove the piece of metal into his arm where it snapped off during the car collision. And because there were just, you know, so many wounds all over his body, they just assumed that that was just another wound and it was just a piece of glass, some other little debris that had happened. So they didn't look at it carefully enough. But his body had healed over it. Uh, this piece of metal, and it stayed inside his body for 51 years. 51 years until it was removed. And the point is, long after an impact is over, there still can be shrapnel that remains. So now we move into week three 
of Swipe Right, and this episode is called The Things We Carry. If you have a Bible, you can use an online one or a physical one. We're going to launch from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so turn there, and um, you should know that 1 Corinthians is one of at least two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians who were living in the city of Corinth. Um, He came there, and because of his teaching and preaching with them, they came to faith. And Paul's a church pioneer, so he loves to go to places and start churches. He's happy that people get saved and they have a relationship with God. But he starts to think, it's always in his mind, but what about the people over here? What about the people over there? What what about people in Asia? What about people in Europe? How am I going to get to Rome? I got to get to Rome. And so he would just move on, keep going and telling the story that God loves you and Jesus died for you. And he directed his whole life around the idea that the world should know about Jesus. And that's just because that's what his heart was like, because his heart had been fashioned, changed into a heart that's just like God's. Because God's desire is that people would come to know Jesus, that more people would come to know Jesus. People who are stranded in sin and regret regret that they would find life and liberty in Christ. And so Paul would just keep going, but he also cared about the places that he was, right? Places where people had been saved in those cities that he'd left behind. And so the church isn't just for the lost, right? He knows that. It should be a gathering where there's, uh, everyone can receive something. Even the found would receive something continually. And so Paul knew that. And so he knew that people should keep growing. And so he would encourage churches and people to help them grow beyond where they were, to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. And so he would write these letters back to the churches that he'd already been at. And he did this, we know, at least twice to the church in the city of Corinth. And we're in the first letter. This ancient, historical manuscript is labeled for us 1 Corinthians. And that's how we get the name of the book. But you should also know a little bit about Corinth the city. Corinth, in quick summary, is a messed up place. It's a swanky place. It's a popular place. It's a happening kind of place. Corinth was a major city on a major trade route. So it is wealthy. It is fancy. It is diverse culturally, and it is diverse religiously. There were lots of major temples in Corinth. Religion was big business here. And these people that he's writing to, they're believers in Jesus, but they got saved in the midst of this wild life that they were living. And it was very normal for these people to participate in large orgies and pagan rituals. It was just a wild, wild, hyper lifestyle. And he wrote this letter to them to encourage them to honor God with their sexuality. He wrote them in part to talk about the life and death power of sex and romance. And the stuff that he had to say to them, it's stuff that for us sometimes we look at and we go, well, isn't that just the common sense? Why would somebody need to tell you this? But to them, Paul is saying things that go against the cultural norms in Corinth. We say, well, of course you don't do that, right? No question about it. And they would say, oh, really? Why? I've I've never heard that. That never even crossed my mind. Paul says, to them, you should no longer have sex with prostitutes. And they're like, why not? Sex with prostitutes is a key part of religion in this city. Paul's helping them to understand the implications of these different things. But 
what for a religious person, you know, kind of like me or maybe like you, might come to, this is just mind-blowing. He's writing this stuff, this quit having sex with prostitutes, to people who by his own admission are Christians. They're believers, which sort of turns on its head that whole notion that uh, once, you, uh, once you learn to behave, once you can be good enough, then you can please God. No, that's not the case at all. These people, they already had the whole kit, the entire caboodle when it comes to salvation. They received grace. They're headed to heaven. They're sons and daughters of the king. Their names are written in heavenly places. They've been given the gift of the Spirit. But their lives are a complete train wreck, especially when it comes to sexuality. So what does that mean? That means it's possible to be a believer, but to be a hot mess when it comes to God's best for your life. And we always have to understand what Paul understood. God always cleans his fish after he catches them. You never behave your way into getting saved. You believe and receive salvation. Then you learn by grace to walk that salvation out. And in into one, we would say, you can belong before you believe. And it's a process, and it's a journey, and it's a road trip. But it is never a thing where how God looks at you is attached to your behavior day to day. Good day, bad day, he looks at you the same way and always, only sees Jesus, God's Son, who has covered your sins. So there's such a big difference about walking out of a relationship where God already sees you as perfect because of Jesus, as opposed to kind of walking out and trying real hard, but all on your own. And learning to make wise choices and, and feeling like, you know what, well, I need to get my, my, my sex life, I need to get this part of my life in the right line so that, so that God will be pleased with me. He already is. And he will never stop being pleased because of his son. That's the gift of faith. But your best and your enjoyment of all he's given to you is attached to you figuring that stuff out. And that's why Paul was so loving to write this. That's why he's giving it as a gift to us. So it's super helpful for those of us who are all in process. And here's one big idea that, that he wanted them to know, and it's this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. As is written in Scripture, Two, become one. And Father, we pray that uh, as you speak to us through your word today, loud and clear, please, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray above all things that anybody who doesn't know you as Savior, anybody who hasn't trusted you yet and received that part, that forgiveness that comes through knowing you, that you draw them to yourself today. And for all of us who are on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus, walk in this walk, God, there are some of us who have 
taken some shots. There's some of us who have fallen down. I pray that you give us the strength to know what our next step should be and the courage to take it as we walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I love Shark Week. There it is. I said it in church. It's, it's out there. It's one of my favorites. And I just love that there's a whole week on the calendar every year that's dedicated to these mysterious uh, living torpedoes with fins and teeth that we call sharks. I'm both intrigued by them and quite nervous of them, frankly. Uh, I wish I had a shark hanging from my ceiling at home, and it would be super cool if I had a shark hanging here right now. But Sarah found this shark for me, so just to help you get a picture of you, go, right? There's the, the shark, and I also have this shark. Uh, maybe we should just call him Jaw because he's not quite big enough to be Jaws, but I'll never forget. When I was watching Shark Week a few years ago, I came across an episode called The Island of the Mega Shark. And they were talking about great white sharks. And they were saying how you could tell just from a swimming shark going by whether or not that shark was a sexually mature female. And the narrator's like, these are sexually mature females. And I'm going, yeah, right. How can you, t I'm on a boat. I'm just watching this thing go by. How could you know that? And it's almost like they could hear me because right away he says, well, you can tell that they're sexually mature females because of the scars. And I was like, whoa, That's, that just got a little too lifelike right there. And I hope, are the kids listening to this? And the narrator, literally the exact thing he said next was this. You can see that their sides and their gills are a battleground of scars. And now he had my attention. He said, it's just a matter that the males have to hold on to somehow, hold on to something, because they're just floating in the open ocean. And I thought to myself, man, is it tough to be a female shark. But fortunately, God gave them skin that is twice as thick as the, th the thickness of um, the skin for the men uh, to deal with that. But he said, the thing is, scars mean sex. Thank you for being a part of my sermon today, little guy. Go back there, swim free, live a good life. Scars mean sex. And I sat back on the, on the couch and I have these moments, I'm sure you've seen me, I just got overwhelmed by emotion because it connected for me. I know that we're talking about fish, but I'm not thinking about fish anymore. Now I'm thinking about people. And Cheryl has been with me long enough to know she sees these moments all the time. When Graham slips into sermon mode in the middle of something that seems so incredibly unsermony. And I was thinking about how really when you see smoke, there's so often fire. And a lot of times when in this world you see scars somehow, somewhere, sex is often involved. I'm just thinking about how many kids in the world face the difficulty of the horrors of having been molested. It's a very high number, and it's way too high of a number, but it's something like one out of every six boys, one out of every four or five girls. 
You think about the rates of those who have had to face the horrors of faced intercourse. It's like 11.9% of females in North America. You think about the fact that about 20% of college co-eds experience some sort of sexual assault. You think about the pressure, almost the expectation in our society of losing a child to an abortion to clean up and hide away an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy. And then you think about these women and these girls now feeling isolated, rejected and cut off from family, from friends, and from their church. Left grieving their abortion experience and my heart just aches. And you just think about person after person, maybe you, you know them, and scar, scar, scar. Scars often mean sex. And Paul is here helping us to understand how this works a little bit. And he's telling us that there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. As is written in Scripture, the two become one. And as we continue this conversation, we're having a conversation that oftentimes no one wants to have, especially not in church. And we're we're making sure that we take some time to look into Scripture because God has a whole lot to say about our lives, the pleasure and the pain of all of it, the whole gamut we're letting God speak to us. That's what we're trying to do. So that we wouldn't just, you know, living in this left-right world, that we, we don't just do what other people say that we should do, and we just don't do what it feels like I should do right now, that instead we would choose to look up and live right, to swipe right in God's sight. And I want to take some time to, to uh, sort of expose and shine some light on three lies about sex that you might have been told. And the first lie is this. Sex is just a physical activity. And if you take notes in church, write write these three lies down. Three lies that for sure have come at us at times from culture, from entertainment. Oftentimes, without us even knowing it, we are living out of the lie that somebody else has told us about sex. But God's Word tells us that sex is more than just the physical activity. But isn't that kind of what's getting pushed towards us at every possible turn? Sex is just physical, right? It's just biological. It's an appetite. It's just what you do with your body. That's why it's there, right? And, and that, for millennials and, and for younger, more and more, that is their worldview on sexuality. That's what they've grown up in. Rolling Stone had an article where they were interviewing a bunch of teenagers and 20-somethings, and one 29-year-old said, it's just like kissing, it's just like holding hands, sex, it's just two bodies touching. It's meaningless. There is no impact. And you know what the idea is. So the idea is that we're all, we're all just animals, right? We're all just smart mud monkeys wearing pants, so it's just a physical thing that you do. But of course, deep down... We don't believe that because when someone acts like an animal and grabs onto the back of any shark they feel like grabbing onto, whether they like it or not, we are outraged. We are incensed. Why? Because we've been given more. 
So we know better, and we know deep down that we've been made. Like Genesis says, whether we would express it in these words or not, we are made in the image of God. We're not just animals. We hold ourselves to a higher standard. But what possible evolutionary benefit would there be in developing a conscience? In an animal world, it's just kill or be killed. It's just what you do. It's survival of the fittest, right? So this idea of morality, the idea that, that this is right and that this is wrong, there's absolutely no benefit to evolving such a thing. But it's because it's been hardwired into us, our conscience. We just understand that deep down, there is a right and there is a wrong there's something outside of us. There's something above us. And that higher thing is called God. And he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And he has so much for our lives that is better than our base instincts or our sinful nature or what the world around us would try to press into us, ways of value and perspective and outlook. And let me just tell you that sex, again, is more than just the physical. It involves you on the deepest possible level. And what this means is that your heart is involved. And so a key scripture uh, to consider for this whole series is Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And since what you do with your body connects to your heart, and, and what, what happens in your heart impacts your whole life, you must be very careful what you do with your gift of sexuality. And that's why God not only gave it to us, but told us how to use us. We're, we kind of think like, hey, look what I came up with. I, 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 I figured this thing out, right? I got this great idea. It's sex. And God's like, you know what? I got the schematics for that from when I invented it. I have the patent for that hanging on the wall in my office from when I designed it and I decided it was going to be a thing. I gave it to you. I know how to use it. And Paul referred to this in 1 Corinthians 6. And he's referring actually back to Genesis as he's sort of quoting it out here. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, a.k.a. the marriage bed. And so what Paul is saying is, I know that you're going to this prostitute, all right? I know that you're hooking up over here. I know that you got this thing over there. But let me tell you something. There's more happening than just what you can see. And on an invisible level, things are happening because the two he warned are becoming one. They're triggering a union on the inside, but it's not this lifelong covenant under the eyes of God with this person that you're becoming one with. It's just this hookup for a moment. It's just this hit it and quit it from Tinder it's just the quick interactions, decisions made in a moment. It's a casual encounter. It's this person that you're just hooking up with just for a little bit. I was just a little bit bored. So there was a booty call over here or this, this person over there. And, and you think you're, that you're just walking away from it and then there's no connection to you. But on the inside, what no human eye can see, what no microscope could find is that there's something that is happening to your soul on the deepest possible level of 
you. It impacts you. And this informs then how we communicate. And quite honestly, anytime the church has been involved with communication, it's so often be, you know what, here's a simple answer. Just don't, all right? Just, just don't do it. And we've said that the church has sort of been ignoring this subject, and that oftentimes pastors are just given the thou shalt not. You know, let's just cover that, thou shalt not, and we're done. You go, why don't you do this? You go, um, because God said so, right? Or you'll get an STD, you'll shoot your eye out, and someone's going to get pregnant, right? And those are real issues. We are leading the world in teen pregnancy, and we're living in a day when 28 According to the World Health Organization, 28% of sexually active adults in the world have herpes. And where 40% of college co-eds in North America have HPV, the human papillomavirus, the most common, the most contagious of all sexually transmitted diseases, which oftentimes gets contracted in the throat and oftentimes leads to throat cancer. Why in the throat? Because oral sex is so much safer than regular intercourse. Or is it? In Canada, over the last 10 years, there have been between 85,000 and 110,000 abortions per year. Culturally and politically, this is, there's such strong rhetoric from all sides that kind of inflame this issue from every side Accept the side of the broken and the hurting people abandoned to grieving their abortion experience alone. And so those are perfectly meaningful things to bring up. And they are issues that need to be faced. It's reality. We have to live in the real world. But I don't think it's deep enough. Because even if no one gets the sexually transmitted disease, and even if no one gets pregnant, there's still an impact in your heart. There's still an impact in your soul. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. It's as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. And listen to me carefully. When you engage in sex outside of God's plan, it makes it much more difficult for you to enjoy it inside God's plan. C.S. Lewis remarked on this when he wrote um, Mere Christianity. He said, the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. There's just so much more to it. And when you isolate just this, just this physical experience, these moments, just this pleasurable part of it that, that has a, an easy beginning and has an easy ending, this, this piece that because it's just a, a burst of joy, you, you're isolating it from what it was meant to be a part of. And so that when uh, so that what we can do is make it difficult when you decide one day, now I want to change, and now I want the whole enchilada. Now I want to have all of this. What happened is that you can be numb in the place to the things that you're now going to try and activate 
because you've been ignoring parts of it by focusing on this one little piece. C.S. Lewis calls that a monstrosity. Paul says the same thing. When we can go back to Corinthians, uh, he continues, chapter 6. Now we're going to go to verse 17. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, which uh, means walking with him, walking close with him, being on a road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus, abiding with Jesus as believers, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. That is to say, the plan that he gave, the marriage bed, leaving us ever more lonely, the kind of sex that can never become one. You see what you're doing is when you, when you, when you glue your heart to someone for a night, for a weekend, for a fling, for a bit, and then, and then, then you tear it apart, and then, you, and then you glue your heart to someone, and then tear it apart, and then you glue your heart to someone, and then you tear it apart. You're doing so with sexuality because sexuality triggers that union. You are teaching yourself how to respond to sexuality. That, that it's just something that you glue and undo. That's what it is. I glue it, I undo it. I glue it, I undo it. And then, then when you finally decide on this day, well, now, now it's gonna, this is going to be my life partner. Now this is the person that I'm going to be with forever. Your heart, it's learned by habit, by practice, by steps that you have taken how to hook up and break up. Hook up, break up. And sex is like a sticky note. The more, you, the more times you stick it, the less sticky it becomes. And he's saying that that will make it difficult. Not impossible, but discouragingly difficult to achieve that oneness that is meant to be there because of the residue on your heart from all of the times that you've applied it in a frivolous way. So get this, if you, if, if you can hear anything from today, take this message, the first big idea, the first big lie, sex is just a physical activity. But there's a second as well. This is also a common lie. And I know for sure that I have fallen into this lie, this line of thinking at some points in my life. And maybe, maybe you've told yourself this lie as well. I can do what I want and have what God wants. Go with me. This is the idea that says, I can be over here now doing what I want in this moment and experience all that God wants for me later. I can have my cake and I can eat it too. I want the best of both worlds. I, I want to give in to my impulses. I want to give in and I, I want to live like all my friends are living. I, I just want to be like them. I want what they say is great. I want to live like my culture says I should because I don't like it when they tell me that there's something weird about me, something wrong about me the way that I'm living. But then I also want all that God wants for me. And I think that we would never put it quite so bluntly, but that's sort of what we're hoping for on the inside. And it's and it maybe because we've had people say stuff like this to us, you know, go find yourself. Um, go sow your oats. Or here's one. Maybe you've heard this one. Just get it out of your system. You have all of your married life. Don't worry about it. You'll have all of it. You're going to get that ball and chain attached to you one day, and it's going to be just horrible. So before that, for right now, 
You know, maybe this is spoken to you by people who are not walking in God's best, who are trying to somehow live vicariously through years of sin, having no idea what they're actually doing to us. They are actually helping us, training us to recreate the steps that led them to being the dysfunctional person that they are today. Newsflash. People you know whose marriages haven't worked, it might have fallen apart because of things that they did before they ever even met each other. And finally they arrive at each other and they smile and they're happy and now they're actually perfectly paired. They, they, they're ready for it. Well, why didn't it work out? They were so good together, weren't they? And it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with things that they did before. Before this connection ever happened. Can I break this down a little bit for you? The enemy wants you to think, I can do whatever I want right now and have all that God wants for me over here. I can do all this over here and then somehow not become the person I would become by doing those things. But the truth is, you lug what you load. It'd probably be helpful for me to explain why we've got all these bags here today. And that's because the Apostle Paul in the letter to the church in Galatia tells us this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. Every man must shoulder his own pack. Every woman must shoulder her own pack. Meaning, we have to live with the decisions that we make. And these things... Over time, they add up. You lug what you load. So everybody at uh, Church Online or everybody at Church on Main Street, I have a question for you. Have you ever found yourself in a trip situation where you're traveling and you brought too much luggage? If that's you online, just say, yeah, that's me, been there. If you're here, has that ever happened? You've ever gone somewhere and you're saying, I took too much luggage? Okay, let me ask you this way. Who's ever been at an airport with 20 people behind them in, in, the, in the lineup? Uh, you're standing in front of the scale, and there's a, there's a flustered person now on the other side of the scale, and, and, and you're here quickly shoving things from one suitcase into another suitcase, trying to get below that 50-pound cutoff, right, so that you don't have to pay $94,000 in extra shipping to get your stuff to the place that you're trying to go to? Cheryl and I, when we went to Thailand, we were standing in the lineup and we saw a whole family, not one person, a whole family doing this in the line right beside us. Everything that they had exposed for everyone in the airport to see. It was quite a show. Uh, and I can remember the same sort of thing from when I did youth retreats, especially winter youth retreats. And I bet Terry can probably remember some stuff like this also. Some people pack so much stuff and then they're, they're like kicking it. They're trying to slide it down a hill, begging people to help them carry it to their cabins. You end up packing a bag and now you've got to carry this thing. And so it is in life. What do I mean? Well, at some point, let's just say you got invited to go, I don't know, let's say Miami. And you're a couple of days at the beach, and man, the, the, the daiquiris there are so big, and, and you end up waking up in this hotel room, and it looks 
mostly like your room, but who are these people? Where are my pants? That goes in your bag. And then you think about whatever might have happened at grad night. That goes in your bag. And there was a few of those dating relationships that you're in. You know, I don't really remember everyone. I don't remember all of those relationships. But you think about that in life, these decisions that we make, and we make them just in the moment. You think about maybe it was Mardi Gras, and then there were the beads, and then there was that, that guy at the gym, and he was kind of hot, and you flirted, and you exchanged phone numbers. That goes in the back. And then there's the romance novels. 55% of paperback novel sales are romance novels. And everything we do, everything we see, I guess, you know, better throw our phones in here too because of all the pictures, all the videos that we've seen, everything that we chose to do in a moment, just for a moment, it was only a moment. But it's not just your uh, relation-y kind of things. It's also your credit cards, right? I'm going to live in this way and I'm going to take the balance from that card and I'm going to shift the balance to this new card so that they can't keep charging me what they were going to charge me. And they say, hey, what's in your wallet? And you say, debt's in my wallet. And all of these decisions, what are we doing? We're just getting it out of our system. Or are we? Are we actually, like Paul would have us to see, getting it into our system? Why is that? Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, tells us very clearly that do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. And whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And now, now, I'm off and I'm going to the altar and I'm going to get married and I'm standing beside Mr. Wright or I'm standing beside Mrs. Wright and I'm making these decisions and I'm bringing myself into this relationship, this union. But guess what I'm bringing with me? Every single thing I chose to do because we lug what we load. And it gets heavy and heavier and heavier and heavier. You can't just do what you want and then experience life as God would want for you eventually. Because we can't outlive our decisions they come with us. And when we find ourselves in the future being who we slowly became one decision, one moment at a time, you cannot sow death and reap life. You can't sow sin and reap blessing. And as a believer, saved by God's grace, you can't enjoy His best as you are actively choosing to bring and to compound the choices that the enemy wants you to make. He's the one that's whispering in your ear, you can do this now, you could just say sorry later. You can do this now, you know what, just opt out. And it'll be like it never ever happened. Why? Because he wants to trick you into living a life that's all but impossible for God to bless. And if you're already saved, he will reluctantly allow you to go to heaven. Because he's got no choice in the matter. Release him to heaven. That's the one that got away. A saved soul and a wasted life. He doesn't want you on the battlefield living 
the life that God destined you to live, a life of impact. So he's trying to trick you to live for the trivial. He's trying to get you to live for things that are so superficial so that you won't walk in the blessing that God has for you. It's a lie. You've been told, and you know this one. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but it all comes home with you. It all goes into your travel bag. Scripture says you can't walk on hot coals and not get blisters. It's a lie about sex that you can do what you want, but you can also experience all that God wants for you to experience. Okay, one final lie for today. Then we'll pick it up next episode. Lie number three. I have already messed up, so there is no hope for me. And this is how some of you might be feeling right now. Man, hearing this, it kind of makes sense. I see how I never had it put together like this for me. I just, I just wish that you would have told me earlier. I wish that you had made this clear a little sooner. And honestly, quite frankly, that's what's driving this series. I can't stand the thought that one day that we're going to meet and we're going to have a conversation and you're going to be able to tell me. Said, if you knew this, why, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you talk about this stuff? Why did you say it was inconvenient? We're surrounded by it all the time. Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you make it clear before? I wish I could have known this when. I wish I would have known this back then. And now you might be feeling right now like such a sense of hopelessness. It's, it's just too late for me. And that's why, quite frankly, I, I know that it's well-intentioned, but I sometimes think that the dialogue on these things from the church especially has been misrooted because it's built like it's an, it's an all-or-nothing kind of thing because we as the church so often have focused so much on virginity. It's just virginity, and we in the church... We rightly want to praise people who have waited to have sex until they're married. And we say how blessed it is, and it is. We say how wonderful it is, and it is. And that's fantastic for those of you who have managed to make decisions and live in such a way that that was your reality. But what about for those who haven't? And you say, okay, here I am. What can I do now? I already gave my V card away, so I'm already messed up, so there's no hope for me. Maybe you're saying, I did it. I, I got pregnant. I got scared. I had an abortion. And now it's clear that you don't like me and that God doesn't like me. And what I want to say to you is that if there was hope for the Corinthians, and that's why Paul wrote, to encourage them, to tell them of the hope. If there was hope for them, then there's hope for you. And no, you can't change your past, but that doesn't mean you can't give God your present, and your present will become a new past. No, you, you can't unsow what you've sown, and those things that you've sown, they are going to come up out of the ground. But you can start to sow something new, and eventually that will grow also, and that can be life. And God 
God will bless you because he is faithful. And the author of Hebrews knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed by circumstances and and choices like these, like where we have been, where we are right now. And that's why we are welcomed. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, find grace to help in the time of need. And I just want to speak over you that no matter what decisions you have made that you wish you could pull back, Jesus is going to carry you. And if he carries you, he's going to carry what you're carrying to. You're not alone. So that's why we say come to Jesus. Follow Jesus and he'll give you strength. And with his forgiveness over these things in your life that you wish you could take back, you'll find new power because where the spirit of Jesus is, there is freedom. And whom he sets free will be free indeed. God is going to make sense of your mess. The chains that you're in, they can fall. Fear has to bow here before him now. Kind Father, I thank you for the way that you fight for us. You are not content to just let us go. You don't overwhelm us without our support, but you are persistent. You are consistent in the way that you will come after us, reminding us, giving us memory, sparking a thought, reawakening a relationship. You call to us in so many different ways. Lord Jesus, when we hear that, I pray that we will turn to you. For my friends today that are listening, that, that hear that this is the end for them, that it, it's, it's over, it's hopeless. God, I pray that you would send hope right now, that they would be able to understand that you provide forgiveness, a cleansing, a transforming that can allow us to start again, to make a new life, to leave behind things, to start new when we follow you, when we trust in you. And so, Lord Jesus, for these that are in earnest, about how to pursue you. I pray that you will speak to those hearts. It's a simple process. You, all you, you tell us that we just, we just have to choose. We choose to believe. We choose to believe that you, that you came and that you died for us, that you can somehow wipe out the consequence of where we are. We'll, we'll still have to live through things now, but the, but the, the sin-defining death for us part can be wiped away. So we can say, Jesus, I, I believe that you, you died for me. I am well aware that I'm in need of a Savior, and so I'm asking you to save me. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life, that you would send your Spirit, that you would remind me that my name can be written in the heavenly places, and that you would transform my heart and my mind, that you would renew me and my life. I can see the things that I've dropped the ball on. I can see where I didn't hit the mark. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to guide me into something new. Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life because I trust you for my life that is still to come. For those, if that's where you are, if, that, if, if that's what you're thinking, whether it's the, the, the first time or you're, you're sort of saying, like, I, I've been living this for long enough where I, I'm carrying this bag with me, and, and I don't know why, but I keep carrying the bag. I keep picking it back up. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that you would bring deliverance. That we'd be able to drop that bag at the foot of your cross and then leave it there. Trusting you again. Realizing that the bag is going to call, pick me back up. If for some reason we're going to want to. Help us to follow you. To leave this behind. To trust you. To walk in that place where we say, clean my future. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be in charge of it all. I want to surrender to you. I want to follow you. And then transform me by the renewing of my mind. My mind has patterns that I taught it. I want new patterns. Help me learn new patterns and put them in. God, I pray these things for my friends that are with me here, the ones that are watching at church online, and the ones that are listening to this later on through our podcast. Bring hope. Bring freedom. Bring the life of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.